0: The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Amen. Acts chapter number 13. It's been a great blessing to be here, uh, an encouragement to me to be able to be here. And I want to thank uh, the church and Pastor uh, Kagan for the blessing and the opportunity to come and minister to you today. And uh, please be in prayer for church planting across America and around the world. Uh, We have, uh, you know, last year we are able to help see one church plant because of COVID. And this year, uh, we're starting to see that come back up again because of things opening up. But even then, it's tough. Uh, there's a church plant in Rome, Texas, that, praise the Lord, it just found a building after months of searching. Uh, Rome is a very small community. Uh, it's near, if you, if you know Dallas, Fort Worth area at all, Uh, If you know where the uh, Texas Motor Speedway is, you get off that exit and you go about 10 minutes west and there's Rome. And there's cow pastures in between the Speedway and Rome. But in the next 10 years, that's going to be solid housing. But the problem is, because Rome is still so small, there's no hotel conference rooms and all that stuff, the schools were closed down, they just opened them back up, but The fear is with this Delta variant going around that they're going to close the schools back down again to outside groups. And so they finally found a place to meet in. Uh, Our church is helping plant through the Great Lakes 30 by 30. Uh, Our church is birthing a church in Dearborn. And uh, yesterday we had to cancel the John and Roman distribution because of all the rain and everything. Dearborn was flooded. Uh, the, The church planter that's going to Dearborn called me and said there's a guy kayaking in his neighborhood down the street. The water was up to the doors. Could you imagine handing out John Romans door to door? You'd have to wear hip waders, you know, and trudge through the water, <laughs> get to the door. You know, that, that'd be uh, quite a feat. But uh, uh, anyhow, it's been, uh, you know, the devil's attacking, but America needs Christ. And I believe uh, his way of getting Christ to this people is through the local church. And we need churches all across this country, amen? And so please pray for those things. Uh, I decided to give you just a a brief update of some of the things that are happening uh, in church planting. Uh, This fall, there'll be the church plant in uh, Garland, Texas. Uh, And then in the spring, the one in Rome, Texas, all right, that I'm helping to oversee. Also, this fall is the church plant in Dearborn, Michigan. And then also we have other church plants going on. Uh, Butte, Montana, another one in California and different places uh, around the country. And so thank God for uh, the cause of Christ going forward. You know, in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, we have the Great Commission, uh, the, the Acts version of the Great Commission, right? It says, Ye shall receive power after the, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Man, that's the great commission that is given to the local church, right? And so with our Great Lakes 30 by 30, we're challenging churches that they fulfill the great commission according to Acts 1.8. Reach your Jerusalem, right? And you know what your Jerusalem is around here. And then you've got Judea. Judea is a little farther out, right, from your Jerusalem. And then Samaria was a little farther out than that. I often joke, you know, Samaria in the Bible, uh, they were looked down upon, they were despised, and so we'll call Samaria Michigan, right? Okay. But really, uh, in our culture today, I would say it's more the cities, right? Uh, it's funny how we talk about Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago and New York City and even Cleveland and Columbus and so forth, the cities. Uh, in in our country, right? Even in Texas, you go to Texas, right? Conservative Texas, right? Gun-toting Americans you know, men's men, all that stuff. It's funny. You get into Dallas, and that gun-toting isn't taking place, all right? And uh, it's a different culture in Dallas than even the suburbs, right? I went to a uh, a sunrise service in a suburb of Dallas, and so you know, early morning, you know, when the sun's coming up, they're having a service followed by a breakfast. And I'm sitting there having breakfast and I look around, handgun, handgun, like they're literally, they take their jackets off. You just look around, gun, gun, gun. <laughs> you know, you don't see that up here. Uh, normally up here, if you have a concealed carry permit and your church allows that, uh, concealed means concealed, right? We don't see it, right? There, they don't care. Off come the jackets, out come the guns. But in the cities, it's different, right? It's a different thinking, different mentality. And uh, so... We complain a lot about our cities and despise our cities in America. But one of the problems we've seen in America over the last 50 years is we've taken the gospel light out of it, right? Most of our major cities had multiple, very good, strong, preaching Baptist churches. Where are they today? Well, many of them moved out. Moved out to the suburbs, moved out to other communities, and we didn't replace it with a new gospel light to continue to reach those communities. And so we wonder why our cities are acting like a bunch of heathens. Well, they're acting like they are, right? They don't know Christ. They've not heard the gospel. So, uh, you know, a lion is going to act like a lion, and an unsaved person is going to act like an unsaved person. We can't uh, wonder why that is. And so they need the gospel. And so all of that, I'm saying, is an introduction to what we want to look at here tonight, and that is the Antioch church. So you're commanded to be an Acts 1-8 church, right? And in Acts 13, we now see the church in Antioch. The church of Antioch is an example of an Acts 1-8 church. Right? We can learn some things from the church in Antioch. Let's look at our passage here in Acts chapter 13, verse number 1. Now they're in the church, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, uh, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Mannion, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. We see here in verse number one that the church in Antioch, first of all, produced God-called men. The greatest need we have in America today is God called men to serve in the ministry. Back in uh, 1985, reaching America was a focus of churches like ours all across the country. And the preaching was hard and hot from the pulpit. Surrender your heart and life to God. Surrender your heart and life to God. Give yourselves over to the Lord. And that could mean that you went to China as a missionary. Or it could mean that you... Uh, went to Bible College and became a pastor. It couldn't mean that you became a church planner. <coughs> the pastor uh, wasn't trying to tell you what to do, but others did say, "Give your heart and life to God." And young men by the thousands, were surrendering their lives to the Lord. and a lot of young ladies were surrendering their lives to the Lord. There was a camp near here, uh, Camp Chautauqua. Many of you might have heard of that. That camp produced thousands of young people in the cause of Christ, into the ministry over the years that it was there. Great men of God, G.B. Vick and others, came in to preach the word of God, and uh, they would challenge the young people. You know, back then, camp was not, well, let's see, who's got the best rock-climbing wall, right? Who's got whitewater rafting, all right? And, uh, you know, who's got the best food? Who has the all-you-can-eat salad bar, right? Like teenagers care about that, I right? uh, okay. But uh, you know, it was now nowadays what we're hearing all the time is, well, what does this camp have, and what does this camp have, and what does that camp have? The focus back then was, are my young people going to be challenged to give their heart and life to God? And we'd send them there, right? I, I've been to camp uh, camps that they call it roughing it uh, camp, right? I tell you, it was roughing it, all right? And, uh, uh, man, some of the places you had to get, how you even had to get back into some of them, and, and uh, you know, running water, yeah, you ran and got the water, all right? And uh, uh, it, But the thing was, it wasn't for the facilities you went, it was for the preaching of God's Word and get away from with God, right? Well, the problem was, in 85, there was a big shift in America. And the shift came from reaching our nation to building our empire. Right? which means building up our churches. So Grace Baptist Church Kettering needs to become the church of the area. And again, I am not opposed. If I came back here next year and you're running a 1,000, I'm not going to call your pastor a heathen. I'm not going to say that you guys are out of fellowship with God. All right, amen. If you do what God's calling you to do, and God pours down revival and your church grows to a 1,000, praise the Lord amen uh, obviously if I came back and you're running a thousand you might have had to do uh, uh, either an addition or a remodel in here all right you're not fitting a thousand in this room all right and so that'd be a great thing. but the problem with, with, is with focusing on just your church think about it adults, what would it have been like if we didn't have kids? What could you have done? Without the expense of kids, the vacations you could have gone on, the cars you could have driven, the home you could have had if we just didn't have kids. Right? I sometimes think, sit back and think of that. <laughs> but then you see the grandkids, right? And you go, it's all worth it. Amen. You didn't kill them, you, you, you know, you fed them and all that. And now we have grandkids, so it's worth it. But again, all of us could look back and say, if we didn't have kids, we could have had this, 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 right? Life would have been grand without kids. Well, the thing is, when we focus on just us as a church, building our empire, it's the same mentality. It's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about us having better. It's all about us having greater. And that's never been God's plan. God's plan was that we're going to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's plan is for that, that uh, we have men and women surrendering their hearts and lives to the Lord. And don't give me this, oh, that's right, you teenagers, you need to give your heart and life to the Lord. Uh, Brother, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, A 20-year veteran of the Air Force, lieutenant colonel, uh, retired after 20 years, went to Bible college for four years, served in a church after that. So uh, I'm guessing you go four years to college to become an officer, right? Then you're 20 years in, and so you're 42, Uh, four years of college, you're now 46, served about four years in, uh, in a church staff, he's 50, starting a church. Praise the Lord, all right? So don't don't say, oh, you teenagers need to give your heart and light to God, amen? Uh, God's using people all different ages. Uh, a friend of mine went to California, planted a church, started it at age 55, all right? And God's blessing and doing a great job there. And so the thing is, we need God-called men And God called young ladies to serve alongside with them, amen? Thank God for your pastor, but also thank God for your pastor's wife, all right? Amen? And uh, a great lady, and she loves her husband and raises those kids and serves you in the church, and and God needs them too. But where are they produced? In the local church, amen? That's what we see here happening in, in Acts chapter 13. There was in the church that was in Antioch, these five men, now five men's names were listed. I believe there's more than five men there. But God chose to name those five men. We're going to see in a moment that God chose, chooses to send out two of them. But God came to the local church. And that's why it's important to be in God's house. And I know on Sunday night, I'm preaching to the choir, amen? Uh, I know you're here, right? And, and uh, I'm guessing you're going to be here on Wednesday night, right? And I guess, I'm guess i guessing you're going to be here next Sunday morning, right? But that's important. And encourage others to do the same thing, to be faithful to God's house. And when your pastor has uh, a special trainings or special uh, teachings throughout the year, enlist, get involved, and encourage others to do the same thing because, It's through the local church that God's going to look down and choose out individuals to go out and to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need today churches that are training, that are encouraging, that are challenging, that are recruiting the next generation of God's servants, and that's going to happen through the local church. And so we can't just have a an us mentality, right? We could say this young man needs to grow up in our church and be taught the Word of God and be grounded in the Word of God because we need future deacons and we need future Sunday school teachers and you know we need future bus workers and, and bus captains and so forth, right? And yes, your church needs those. And I believe God's going to provide. But it can't just be, what is it for grace? What is grace going to get? How is grace going to benefit? What's, what's in it for grace? It can't just be that. What does God want Grace Baptist Church to do? And God wants Grace Baptist Church to help produce men and women for the harvest field that God has out there, uh, the the harvest field that God needs to be reached. And He wants churches like this one to get involved. Amen? And so pray about it. Get on your knees and beg God to bring people in. Uh, You know, I get accused a lot because I'm in the church planning, right? And so you guys need to send somebody out and start a church. And so people say, all you care about is Seeing our church shrink. You don't care about our church. Well, no, because you know, Acts 1.8 says, reach your Jerusalem. That's all part of it. And I am 110% behind you reaching your Jerusalem. Amen. You just had the, is it the Cola Wars or the soda? What was it, soda or Cola? Cola, sorry. I I mean, Pop, Pop Wars. All right, (laughs) And, uh, and, and so you had that. Now, what'd you have that back there for? Because you had nothing else to do, so hey, might as well fill some time, right? No, you're trying to reach boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Why do you have a church nursery? To keep them brats out of the auditorium. No, that's not why we do it, amen? We're trying to get families to come out to church, and those little ones can be distracting for the parents. We want them to hear the word of God, and so we have a church nursery. Why do you have Sunday school? Why do you have children's programs? Why do we have a teen ministry? All of those are there to reach the people of this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what part of that is? See, in 1980, if Pastor Strachan, now some of you might know a Pastor Strachan in Ashland, Ohio. I'm not talking about him. That that guy's no good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, That's that's the son of who I'm talking about, all right? Uh, My pastor was Pastor Strachan Sr., all right? And so, but if he was sitting in his office in 1980 and said, who could I pray over in our church, and who could I mentor to get involved in the gospel ministry? He would not have wrote down the name of Rick Rath. Why? Because in 1980, I was lost, living in the world. He didn't know who I was. In 1981, through the outreach ministry of Bethel Baptist Church, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. He could write my name on the list then, right? And that's why we need to have cola wars, and that's why we need to have church nurseries. You know, ladies, you might think that's a a, a it's it's a, a, it's a nuisance, right? These crying babies and all that stuff you don't know if you're changing the diaper of the next Spurgeon, or right the ne- you know the next whoever right the next you know next missionary's wife who's going to go out to a foreign country and they're going to see uh, hundreds of churches planted and thousands of souls saved you don't know that right but that's what the local church is all about mentoring and raising and training up and encouraging and challenging the next generation of leaders that are going to serve god so get involved with your outreach and get involved with uh, ministry here and get involved with getting the gospel out. If you have a gospel distribution, uh, get involved with that, right? Putting things on doors or whatever it is that you're going to do, right? You have an Easter program. Your pastor says, everybody invite X number of people to your Easter program. Invite them. If he says five, five. If he says 10, 10. Actually, if he says five, invite 10. Amen. Make it your goal to get five here. Amen. And why do we want to do that? So that your pastor can say, yeah, Easter. I built this church to twice its size. Right? That's not what the purpose is, amen? It's to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so people will be saved. And some of those that get saved are going to go on and preach the gospel <coughs> and travel the world. You know, I grew up in a small town, 15,000 people. When I was born, the sign said 15,001 56 years later, the sign says 15,001, all right? It's never changed, all right? And if, if to be honest, it's probably 14,001. I don't know. But, uh, uh, and so it has never really grown. Small town, insignificant town. Mo- if I, okay, it's Simcoe, the town of Simcoe. I doubt there's anybody here who has a clue where Simcoe is, all right? But out of that town, out of that church, God called somebody into the gospel ministry through the local church. And that can happen here. It can happen anywhere. And we ought to have churches that have that kind of a mentality. You need to be a church that is praying to the Lord of the harvest, right? Sometimes as we get older, we start thinking, who's the next generation that's going to step up? Where's the next generation of young men that are going to stand true to God's word? That are going to stand true to the gospel? that are going to have some standards and convictions and and convictions about Bible principles and Bible truths, amen? That they're not going to uh, flip and flop on Bible doctrine because somebody gets upset with them. We need to be praying the Lord of the harvest. The harvest truly is great, the Bible says, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into his harvest. As a church, you need to be praying that God would do that. We need to be creating a culture in our church, our churches of young men and women surrendering. See, when we got away from wanting to see the world reached with the gospel and every, of all of our young men and all of our young ladies staying in the local church, we didn't care that now they all wanted to be doctors and lawyers and engineers. Because, hey, not only does Bob stay in the church, but Bob becomes a lawyer. Right? What does that mean? Good tithes. Right? And it's funny how we think. And we think, man, that would be a waste if we didn't have Bob stay in our church and Bob become a lawyer, and boy, that lawyer's tithing for 20, 30 years in our church. What a waste it would be to lose that. Yeah, it'd be a waste that if Bob ended up going off as a missionary, as a church planner, and, and reaches thousands of people with the gospel. Amen? That would be a waste. Right? It's funny how we got to thinking, because we are so focused on ourselves and building up what we're trying to build. We have to go back to having that missionary mindset. The second thing we see in this church, in verse number two, that it was a serving church. It says, and as they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. It is a serving church. This was a church that regularly, as it says in verse number two, ministered unto the Lord. This means they were teaching and preaching and praying and fasting and other things we normally associate with Christian service. These believers were serious about church. Okay? And again, it's funny, when we get a inward-focus mindset, right? It, it's funny. All of a sudden, what becomes crucial to a church is somebody painted a classroom and I don't like the color. And that's a problem, right? I remember, in, uh, I passed the Liberty Baptist Church in Toledo. We uh, were remodeling the lobby and we voted on the expense and all of that stuff. And so... Uh, We brought in, you know, this is what the carpet's going to be, and this is what this is going to be, and this is what that's going to be. And I had somebody come up to me and said, you know, we used to get four different carpet samples, and we get to vote on that. And I said, well, praise God. Isn't it great we don't do it that way anymore? And you know why I say that is I have seen churches split over that kind of stuff. Uh, you know uh, this somebody in the church likes this carpet sample and so they go around hey you're going you're going to vote with me right you're going to vote with me right, right 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 and somebody else likes this one you're going to vote with me right you're going to vote with me right and then you vote with this person instead of this person and Ooh, right and, and they're all up in arms and then uh, you know all this great it's carpet people all it is is carpet Okay, and so uh, is it the exact carpet you would have picked? Well, maybe not. I don't. Know. Who cares? It's carpet, all right. As long as it's not hunter orange. Okay, I get that. All right, but if it looks nice, who cares? It's carpet in the lobby, all right. It doesn't matter. But when we get inwardly focused, all we care about is that stuff. Which way are the pews uh, situated? Or the chairs in a, in a fellowship hall uh, aligned? And you know what are we having in our after church fellowship? All right. I I used to have a monthly after church fellowship. And I tried to make it good, and then healthy, good, and then healthy, <laughs> all right? And so one one day, one month, it'd be pastries, all right? And then the next day, a month, it would be something healthy. But I tell you, it was funny. Well, I'm not going this month, because all they've got is all that sugar stuff back there, okay? Well, if you don't want to eat a donut, don't eat it. But could you not stay in fellowship, right? Encourage one another, love on one another? Of course you can but again, when we have that mindset of it's all about me, what I like and what I enjoy, the church in Antioch didn't have that mindset. They're serving. They're too busy serving. They're getting involved with this and getting involved with that. I tell you, when you're doing a thing like the Cola Wars, right, a lot of things have to happen. And you don't have time to wonder if the scuba guy's feet should come out of this ceiling tile or that ceiling tile, right? All right, if you don't know what I'm talking about, walk down the back hall. Uh, when you're as tall as me, you got to watch out for the scuba guy, all right? And, uh, and so, uh, but you know, who cares what tile he's coming out of, right? And you don't care about that, all right? Let's, let's get it up. Let's get the pictures up. Let's get this up. Let's get that up. Let's set up this refreshment. Let's get going over here. And, and your guys are going like crazy. You didn't have time to worry about and complain about the little issues, right? Because you're busy serving God. God greatly blesses you, and God greatly uses you as you do this. These these folks were busy and and serious about church. I get asked all the time in church planting, how big does a church have to be to be, be ready to plant a church? How much money does it have to have? And it's funny, as you travel, in many churches, you guys are a big church. But you guys can look at several churches and say, no, we're not. They're the big church. So I'll go over and talk to those pastors. And you know what those pastors say? We're not the big church. They're the big church. And so I drive and go meet up with those pastors. You know what they say? We're not the big church. They're the big church. All right? Now, eventually, i got to get to the top one. All right? And so, amen. And so eventually, I go to the, the, the biggest, largest independent Baptist church in America, and I talked to him, and you know what they could say? Well, you people don't understand. I have a staff of 200, Uh, we have all these buildings, we have all of these electric bills, we have this, we have that, right? You know what every church can do? Is come up with their excuses why it can't be done, right? But God is not looking for a big church. He's not looking for a wealthy church. You know, if only this church had one or two millionaires that would just cough up the money for everything. If, if your church had that, you could do something great for God. Because that's what the church in Antioch was, right? They, they, you know, in, in, in chapter 13, verse 1, there was five millionaires listed, and two of them were willing to step up. No, that's not what it says. It says, though, that they were a serving church. See, God's not looking for the big church. He's not looking for the wealthy church. He's looking for the serving church, a church that has a heart for God to serve. I tell you, when I got saved, not only did I buy into the every time the church doors are open, I need to be there. Amen. I believe that's a good principle to live by. All right. Now, listen, Uh, when I was in Bible college, I had to work. And sometimes I had to work on Wednesday nights. So I couldn't be there. All right. But if I could be there when the church doors were open, I was there. You know what else? My pastor would come to me and say, can you do this? And my first answer always was yes. And then I'd leave and think, how do you do that? I've never done that before, right? I didn't care. I just wanted to serve. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be the go-to guy, all right? And so sometimes that meant, uh, you know, when I was younger, my dad was in construction. So hey, can you see this built? Now, my pastor might have been smarter than I think he was because he might have known. He's got a dad who knows construction. So I'll ask Rick to do it, and then he'll go to his dad and his dad will come and help him build it. Amen. And that's exactly what happened. All right? Amen. So things got done. But you know, it's just getting involved with serving. You know, when God calls folks into his ministry, he's not looking down from heaven and saying, "Now there's a guy who really knows how to sit in a lazy boy chair." There is a guy who is phenomenal on that Xbox. There is a guy who can run a remote control better than any other man in that church. No, God's in heaven looking down for those who are serving. Those who are willing to sacrifice and get involved wherever God would have them to get involved. God wants a serving church, as the church was in Antioch. We also see, in, as uh, verse number two goes on, it says, "And as they as they ministered unto the Lord and fasted." All right. Not only were they serving, okay, but they were in fellowship with God. All right. So they're they're serving. And, and, you know, I, I love it when you know, pastor might have had you guys all set all that stuff up and then say, "Okay, let's pray. Let's have a word of prayer that that God will bless our cola awards." All right, and uh, uh, you know, and you have special prayer times and so forth here at the church. All right, and so they—they they weren't just saying, you know, what I can do this and I can accomplish this, and I'm a great person, and, and, and you know, I have skills and I have this and I have that. I remember I, I started getting cocky by the end of high school. All right, and I, you know, I'm picking on teenagers here today. I get it, but you know, at age 16, I thought I knew everything. Then I got saved, and by the time I finished high school. Uh, you know, I preached once in high school chapel and i had surrendered already to the ministry and my pastor was always encouraging me and lifting me up. So at high school, we each had to give a testimony. Well, I wasn't like the other losers who had to rehearse a testimony. I was a called man of God. And I got up there in front of the church and I fell flat on my face. Because I thought I could do it in my own power my own strength. I thought I was that amazing. And so we can't just say, yes, God, I'm willing to serve. But it says they fasted. So they're in communication with God. Now, this is a crucial part of this verse. They're serving. They're in prayer. Not just prayer, but in fasting. Okay, that's specific, right? It's one thing to say, hey, let's pray. There's another thing to say, okay, you know what we got this 30 by 30 going on and we want to take a week this year and fast to see if God will use us to plant one of those 30 churches. And during that week of fasting you might fast uh, you know uh, one day food or you know one day God forbid coffee all right uh, all right uh, you know, I even taught oh you, you know I think one of the hardest things to fast, in the church today, is social media, right? I, I swear, the average Christian—you take away their food for a week, no problem. Their social media for a day, they'll die, right? We, we, man uh, can't uh, can't live. Uh, man lives by social media alone, amen. Not by bread, all right, <laughs> amen. And, and it's a funny thing, but you know, you take that time period, and as a church corporately, you're getting a hold of God, and again, fasting is saying, listen. I am not going to take time to eat. That time I would normally spend preparing meals, I'm going to pray. That time I would normally spend eating, I'm going to pray. Now, you, you obviously got to do something, right? So you're, you're drinking things, you're drinking nutritional things, right? At least water, or amen, uh, so forth, right? To help you get through that day. But you're, you're having a focused time of prayer. So you're serving God with your whole heart <clears throat> as a church. And as a church, you are on your knees begging God to do something. And what happens? You know, if I said, do you guys believe in the Great Commission? If you believe in the Great Commission, raise your hand. Hopefully it all, raise your hand, right? Do you believe that as a church, you're to reach your Jerusalem, Judea, your Samaria, and the uttermost? You all believe in that? Raise your hand, right? Yeah, we'll all raise our hand, right? That's easy to do that. Uh, it's, yep, yeah, I believe that, preacher. We're good. Yep, yep, yeah, I'm a man of God. Yes, I understand that, right? It's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to now do it, right? I, I remember when we had our first kid, right? You get married, and, you know, again, you've got rose-colored glasses when you first get married. My wife and I are married three months when she was expecting. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And you go through the whole pregnancy thing, Right? Right, as men, you come up behind your wife and you, you tuck her dress in underneath her belly, so somebody takes a picture, so you can show how big her stomach got. Right? All right? We all love to do that. And uh, right, and uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, my my wife has our first kid in August. I don't recommend that if it's your first kid. All right? It's so hot and everything else, her feet are swelling up and all this stuff. But she didn't care. She's having a baby. It's going to be precious. And so you go into the hospital. She's in labor for like 12 hours straight. It was excruciating. I didn't know if I was gonna make it for 12 hours sitting there, waiting for it to come to an end, all right? But we get all the way through it, and finally, I thought this was funny, the baby's delivered, and they hand them to me. Because I did all the work. And so, I get this baby, and literally my first thought was, what have I done? Up until that point, it's pretty neat to think about having a baby. I now have one. I got to raise it, feed it, clothe it, (laughs) raise it—all of these things, my responsibility. And part of my mind was like, "Can we send it back? We're not ready yet. It's too late." It's one thing to talk about reaching our Jerusalem. It's one thing to talk about. It's great to send out a missionary out of our church someday. It's one thing to talk about as a church, that you could be involved with planting another church. One thing to talk about these things, right? It's one thing to talk about maybe adding new ministries to your church, adding staff members to your church, whatever the case is going to be. It's one thing to talk about it. But here's a church that was on fire to do something great for God. They were serving. And they were praying. And the Holy Spirit of God comes in and He speaks. Speaks amongst them. And he tells them what he wants them to do. And at that moment, it goes from saying, You know what? We want to do something great for God. We believe that we ought to be a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost type of church, to God is now moving. Things are going to happen. God has chosen this church to accomplish a great thing for the cause of Christ. God is moving in. So it goes from just serving God and and doing what we're supposed to do to getting on our knees and fasting and praying and begging God, and then God moves in and He does something. See, the third thing we see is that an Antioch church is a spirit-led church. Notice that it says, As. As they were doing the aforementioned things, the Holy Spirit gives direction. The Holy Spirit of God comes in and moves in. He speaks to the local church. All right. Now, again, I believe God speaks through the leadership of the church. I believe that the in today's agenda, God speaks through our pastors in this. And what I'm seeing many times in church is, the pastor believes we ought to do something great for God. Maybe the pastor and deacons, hopefully, believe we ought to do something great for God. And then it's brought before the church. And people start saying, well, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't think. And I, you know, all of these other things. You know, we could use that money to do this instead of that. And all of these different things. The thing is, the entire church was serving God. The entire church was on their knees begging God and fasting. And God came to the church and the entire church got behind it. What's going on in America today when uh, the man of God can have the Spirit of God work in his heart and life? And then, well, I don't know. Are you involved in serving? Are you involved with fasting? Are you involved with begging God to use Grace Baptist Church to do great things for Him? Are you part of that? Because I believe if you're part of that team, when God comes in and moves in, you're the one who's doing the high-fiving. You're the one who's all excited. Now, it's it's a mixed bag, isn't it? We all love the young men that God calls out of our churches and the young ladies that God calls out of our churches. And who wants to see one of them go to China, right? Well, we're rejoicing that they're going to China and they're going to plant churches and see uh, people come to know Christ as their Savior. But we're sad that we lose them. Right? But it's still a great thing. See, Two men are about to leave this church. It's not an easy thing to have happen. But because they're on the side of serving God, because they're on the side of fasting and praying and getting in, uh, in their faces before God, when God moved, they were led to follow. The fourth thing we see here is that it's a multiplying church. In verse number three or two, it goes on and says, The Holy Ghost said what? Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So now God says separate. That's where the multiplication comes in. Okay, so for example of Grace Baptist Church. If God called a young couple or young man out of this church to pastor a church, go plant a church, you now have Grace Baptist Church, and let's say Bible Baptist Church, right, in another city here in Ohio, all right, and so uh, let's just say Lima, Ohio, right. So it's for example, so you now have Grace Baptist Church, Kettering, and you have Bible Baptist Church of Lima, right, and then what happens? God raises up another young man out of your church, and he's going to go plant a church, and so now you have Grace Baptist. You got the church in Lima, right? You got the church in Liberty Township, all right? And uh, now you got three, right? Then down the road, they start having children, right? They're planting churches. And you see what's happening? It goes from Grace Baptist Church to three other churches to nine other churches, right? My wife and I, when we got married, we became one flesh. We had three children, right? They've all moved out and gotten married and so forth. Now, we have not one flesh, we have four fleshes, right? And now we got five grandkids, so we're up to nine. One day, Rick and Tammy Rust are going to be gone. But, at least at this point, eight will be left behind, right? We see in America today, churches dying all over the place. Who are replacing them? right? If our population worked that way, okay? If all of us said, no more kids. We want the fancy vacations. We want the nicer homes. You know what's going to happen in one generation? Our population is going to plummet. Right? Because as we die off, there'd be nobody to replace us. Right? We get that. We understand that. And so, for the cause of Christ needs to be the same thing. And so, God's plan of reaching this world is multiplication. And so, they separated from the church of Antioch and went off to do what God called them to do. It was a multiplying church. And so it's a wonderful thing when you see a church. Could you imagine if every church only lasted, let's say one lifetime, let's say 80 years, okay? Every church that started lasts 80 years. Now, I I understand some of them last longer than that and so forth, but let's just say, for example, one church lasted 80 years. And every ten years, those th- that church planted a new church. That would be eight churches. The mother church dies. There's eight churches out there. But you know what else? The first church planted seven, because they did one every ten years. Right? Can you imagine how many churches that would be? We would not be having the problem we have in America today. We wouldn't have all of the issues going on in America today about, what is your gen- or what, what is your pronoun and all this craziness and all of this stuff and, and how many you know there's I the highest number I heard so far is that there are 64 genders in America, okay, and that number's probably grown since then. All right, and we laugh at all that stuff, but folks, we wouldn't have that problem if we had churches that were multiplying like the church here, in uh, in in the church here in Antioch. And lastly, I love this last point, verse number three. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. If God came into my office when I was pastoring and he said, Brother Rust, I want you to give me two of your men. The first thing in my flesh would have been, I know exactly the two men you can have, God. Amen? Right? Right? The pastor, you think, Boy, those two, if they could leave this church and stop being a thorn in my flesh, that would be wonderful, God. You can have them. Right? That wouldn't be hard, would it? It'd be like, God God came to me this week, and he asked for two. And uh, now these two gentlemen, God is leading them away. And uh, we're going to have a cake and and a fellowship afterwards and then they leave, and you get home, and woohoo, praise the Lord, I don't have that problem in my life anymore. But God doesn't work that way, does He? Right? God doesn't want to come to us and say, give me the the two guys that just drive you the craziest. He came and asked for Paul and Barnabas. Ouch. You know, that's hard for a pastor. Pastors Dream about having a Paul and Barnabas in their church. They lay in bed at night, fantasizing, "What it'd be like to have a Paul and a Barnabas in their church?" And if they get one, guess what? They don't want to have happen them to leave, right? You want Paul and Barnabas to hear. Paul and Barnabas are helping build this church. Paul and Barnabas are holding up my arms. Paul and Barnabas are my, you know my right hand men. They're, they're they're the ones I can trust and count on. And, and, the, the, and I love them, and they love me, and, and they encourage me, and they help me on in the cause of Christ. I don't want to give up my Paul and Barnabas. God, you know, how about Simeon here? Or, you know, uh, how about Lucius of Cyrene? Manion, well, why not him? Now, again, these are five men that God chose to call by name. So we're not saying, God, I'm going to give you my worst, but how about Manion instead? It's a struggle. I've talked to pastors. I have been a pastor where God has called an individual in my church to go and give himself the full-time ministry. Oh man, God, why that person? Why on earth that person? Because he is that person. Amen. (laughs) All right. right? Again, God's not looking for the backslidden Christian who doesn't want to serve God. He's looking for the one who's serving and fasting and praying and reaching the lost and doing all of those things and Faithful in church, and then God comes along and says, give me Paul, and give me Barnabas. I've asked in pastor's fellowships before, who's your Paul and Barnabas in your church? Would you be willing to let God have them? And that's hard. And most pastors could think, I know who my Paul is, I know who my Barnabas is, and I don't want to lose them. God comes to this church, that was serving and fasting, and the Holy Spirit comes along and moves in their hearts and their lives and leads them and directs them. And he calls Paul and Barnabas. And the church, without hesitation, submitted to the leadership of God. And it says that they went on and they laid hands on them in verse number uh, 3 and sent them away. Laying hands on them, we understand that, right? And so, uh, if a young man from this church were to go out, your pastor would call the deacons up, and you lay hands on that young man. You're saying, the authority of Grace Baptist Church is behind what you are doing, and as a church, we are saying, we are behind you, right? And that doesn't just mean, you know, uh, some of you older folks remember the days, right, when, when a young man surrendered to God and the pastor would say, great, you're preaching on Sunday night. And you'd preach Sunday night. They'd lay hands on you and they'd send you out with $100 in one hand and a stack of tracts in the other and say, now go plant a church. Right? And sadly, many of those churches failed. Right? Well, one of the reasons of laying hands on says, we're behind you. That means if you need something financially, we're there. You need help personally, we're there. We are going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We are behind you. The authority of Grace Baptist Church is behind this young man giving his heart and life to God. And then off he goes. And you send them away. And they now serve under the authority of their local church. But they, they realized without hesitation they needed to obey God and to send them away. So it says they laid hands on them. And then it says, and they sent them away. Now again, were they doing cartwheels of Paul and Barnabas for leaving? Did they have cake? Probably. Nothing wrong with having cake. Good? Amen? So you have cake and you have coffee, fellowship afterwards, because you're rejoicing that God has chosen these men for the cause of Christ. And you're having a farewell. I've done that as pastor, right? God's called a young man or young person to serve God faithfully in the service of the cause of Christ. And we'll have a cake. We'll have a fellowship. We'll have an encouragement. We're rejoicing. But deep down, I see mom and dad in the corner crying that they're leaving. you got to go to the mission field. Right? I see grandma and grandpa hugging them, knowing they might never see them again. But they're also rejoicing that God has chosen them, saw their faithfulness, and is willing to use them And without hesitation, they send them off. We need an Acts 13 church that would be a surrender church to follow whatever God would have them to do. May God help you as a church to examine yourself and say, are we an Antioch church? we a church that's all in. Well, we're trying our best to raise up the next generation of servants for the cause of Christ. We are doing our best to serve faithfully. We are involved in praying and even fasting. And we are wanting to hear from God Himself. That God would speak in our church and tell us what He would have us to do and direct us. And then we are willing to surrender ourselves to whatever God would have us to do. Are you willing to be an Antioch church? Let's pray. Father. Thank you for this time again tonight in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help the folks here tonight of Grace Baptist Church to examine themselves and say, am I a part of this church? Am I a member of this church like the members of the church in Antioch? Am I 100% behind what God is trying to do here? Am I faithfully serving? Am I fasting and praying? Am I seeking the the will and direction of God? Or is it just, I only want to do what I enjoy doing? Or I'm only in it for what I can get out of something. God, I pray that tonight you would work in hearts and lives. Lord, make decisions tonight that would honor and glorify you. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Let's all stand, please. Every head bowed every eye closed. Tonight... I don't know you as a church that well, I don't know your heart. And as the pianist starts to play, maybe you're a young person here that's struggling about giving yourself to God and saying, God, what would you have me to do? I want to give my heart and life to God. I want to serve him however he'd have me to serve. Listen, I'm not here as a church planning missionary to get you to be a church planner. I want you to do what God wants you to do. <clears throat> Today, if God spoke to your heart, would you come? Today, church member. Are you a church member like the church members in Antioch? Are you all in? Are you saying, yeah, I want to be a big part of the blessing here at Grace to see this church go on to do great things for God? If God spoke to your heart tonight, would you just step out right now and come and pray? And give your heart and light to the Lord. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you some things encourage you in some areas. But may God help you as members to say, I want to be a church member like the church members in Antioch. This is the kind of church I want to be a member of. The kind of church I want to serve in. And I believe you can be that kind of church It just takes every member saying, I'm all in. <coughs> it just takes every member saying, yes, God, this is what You've called me to do, I want to do it. I use surrender to the Lord this evening. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.